When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you've built a $50 million company, you're already successful. You, you already have the confidence to know that you can do that. Now, you're ambitious and you want to get to $100 million, Well, you're going to get to $100 million because you're confident, right? And then it's about, like we talked about, make sure you just surround yourself with the right team and the right people. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident. Feel empowered and challenged through inspiring stories and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Welcome or welcome back to the Bombshell Business Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Hurdle. I am particularly excited about today's episode. And in season seven, we have kicked things off by, well, talking to all my smart friends, not all of them, but but many of them. And today is no exception. I am super excited to introduce you to Tom Park. Um, and I asked him before in just our pre-interview chat if it was okay for me to read his his full bio. Because as you know, we always synthesize things down. We do like the 50-word bio and we make sure that from a listener perspective, we're not like droning on. But y'all, <laughs> you need to hear what he's done so that when we dip into these conversations, that you understand the wealth of experience that comes with that. So let me tell you about my friend, Tom. So... Tom joined Portage Point, his current um, experience, in December 2020 and currently serves as a managing director offering interim management, performance improvement, and board services to stakeholders in periods of distress, underperformance, and transition. He also currently serves as the board of directors for Howard's, a large independent appliance and consumer electronics retailer. Now, how did we get to this stage in our career? Buckle up, friends. So prior to joining, um, he was CEO of Incipio, and I hope I said that correctly, a consumer products company. And prior to that, he was the president of Kenmore Craftsman Die Hard for Sears Holdings. Tom was hired in 2015 to transform these iconic American brands to maximize their value by externalizing the brands after nearly a hundred years of being exclusively sold at Sears. Under Tom's leadership, the Kenmore and Die Hard brands were launched exclusively on Amazon. Kenmore is the first major appliance brand to be sold on Amazon and included delivery and installation services performed by Sears. He was instrumental in negotiating the sale of the Craftsman brand in 2017 to Stanley Black & Decker for... $900 million. All right. We're not even done yet, y'all. We're literally just scratching the surface and we're just into the bio. So just wait for the interview. Prior to joining Sears, Tom had held several executive positions at Belkin International. Anyone have a cord handy that you can see like a um, uh, an iPhone accessory? That's what we're talking about a global leader in mobile accessories, wireless networking products, and IoT smart products. Positions within Belkin included President, Linksys Networking Division, President of the Americas, Chief Operating Officer, and CFO. During his tenure of a dozen years, Belkin saw significant growth, more than doubling the business to $1 billion, with a B, dollars. 
Prior to Belkin, Tom spent a decade with the Walt Disney Company, you know, just these little companies, um, where he was president of the Disney stores worldwide. In addition, he held executive positions with the Disney Consumer Products. Tom was controller for the $3 billion consumer products business and controller for Walt Disney Imagineering, the design and development group for Disney theme parks, which if you have not watched that on, I think it's Netflix, maybe you can get the behind the scenes there. Um, Tom graduated from Villanova University with a BS in accounting in 1979 and began his career in with Unisys holding several positions in finance and accounting for over 12 years. Tom serves on several advisory boards, including the Villanova School of Business. Thank you, Tom, for giving back. Tom lives in the L.A. area with his wife, Lisa, and is a proud father of four children, one who recently got married, and one granddaughter. Tom, you're just rolling up on here like a boss. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, thank you, Amber, and thank you for your kind words. Um, I'm going to use you as my next PR person. Okay, good. That's my career. That was, that was well delivered. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I wanted to read the whole thing because as we're talking about doing business in today's economic environment, social environment, uh, social media environment, like all this stuff, the, the world is a very wonky place, especially as we have emerged from the pandemic. And I, I guess I would just like to start with like an overarching, what is Tom's state of the union of where business is right now? Um, I'll tell you, it's a really, you know, we're going into a new cycle. And, you know, you just read my my long career. So I've been through a bunch of cycles. Uh, uh, I think that, you know, the last cycle that we went through was 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. And it was a pretty bad one, right? It lasted for, well, at least three years, maybe even four years. And I was at Belkin at the time. And we had just crossed the billion dollar mark. Um, we were very fortunate to be partnered with Apple with the iPhone accessories and the Apple you know, uh, iPhone every year would come out and just go through the roof. Well, once that downturn, that recession hit in 09, people stopped buying iPhones every year, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and that's what our whole business model was about. And we had built up the company's infrastructure uh, to get to that billion dollar level. And it was, you know, it was declining. And so we had to button down the hatches. We had to manage our expenses. Obviously, we had to, you know, watch our inventory levels and we didn't know how long it was going to last so we you know we were pretty forceful in having to drive through that but we also knew that our competitors were going through that at the same time and so we also took it as an opportunity of well you know maybe we can push some people off the shelf because right? <laughs> we'll deliver you know we you know the, the key about any consumer products business that's selling into retail whether it's a walmart it's a target a customer like apple your customer service, your ability to deliver products, to keep the shelves full, you have it priced right, and then do the appropriate marketing and branding so that it sells through. And so we never lost focus of that. And we were able to, to successfully get through that. And by the time 2013 around, uh, arrived, we were back to where we uh, were before the recession and better than ever. And we, you know, that little strategy of how do I make sure I can, you know, out compete my competitors out beat my competitors through this down cycle time um worked so as we look at today's uh cycle that we're in it's and it's been a uh, you know quite you know no one has ever been through a pandemic before at least not in our lifetime right, right. 
we all thought when the pandemic was hit that business was going to slow down. It, it slowed down, but not to the degree that people had thought. Uh, then we got hit with the supply chain crisis. And so you mentioned that I was at Howard's on the board of director at Howard's. We couldn't, we couldn't get appliances because of the supply chain. Right. So we, you know, we were able to stay open and we were able to deliver to, to consumers house homes, uh, Best Buy and Sears shut down during the pandemic. So we were able to outbeat our competitors because um, they weren't open, but we we're having trouble getting supplies. So, what we did, like a lot of other consumer products, and I'm in the market, as you mentioned, with Portage Point, you know, advising clients, inventory is their biggest problem now because, mm-hmm. well, let's say I needed a thousand units of a refrigerator. Well, we bought 2,000 because we figured if we get a thousand, <laughs> we're okay, right? Right. Well, we, you know, we got loaded up with inventory. So now we're ha- we just had a very aggressive Labor Day and, you know, that type of thing to, re- to reduce. Uh, the cost so we could push the inventory through. If you noticed the Labor Day sales this weekend were everywhere. Oh, it was insane. And significant savings. Yeah. And, and the retailers, don't, they didn't really want to do that. Right. A lot of that inventory they bought for the holiday season. So if you're in the apparel business, for example, and your winter wear uh, products were sitting on a boat in Long Beach outside of uh, Long Beach. Which I've personally witnessed. That that was something. Yeah. It's something. Why in Los Angeles to see all those ships out there? <laughs> well, they're all the sweaters and the coats and the boots. They, they finally arrived at the warehouses of the retailers in, you know, March when you don't need it anymore. Yeah. So now what do you do? You know, do you significantly mark it down? Do you put it into your warehouse and let it sit there for next year? Which... In the fashion business is a no-no because the, you know, the the last season, that's right. So, you know, if if you go to discount retailers right now, you'll see all that winter wear and even, even spring wear, you know, is, is being discounted. Well, when you went through the pandemic, especially middle market companies, you know, lower middle market to middle market companies that don't have a wealth of capital. So they got some help from the government which certainly helped the on the consumer side, but they had to borrow, right? They had to borrow to keep, to buy that inventory. And now interest rates are going up. Their costs are going up. So I think that we're going to see some real challenges in the middle market area, lower middle market area, in the consumer products, in the retail sector come this holiday. Uh, holidays when you're supposed to make all your, your money, especially at retail. Uh, you've got had a tough second quarter, a tough third quarter, and you can just read there. Even Walmart and Target had had poor earnings. You know, I, I don't know if you've seen what's going on with Beth Bath and Beyond. Bed, oh, Bath. yeah. But that's just been recently announced. So and there's some tragedy around that as well. With Yeah, I know. This weekend we heard the terrible news about their CFO. Yeah. So, um, so I think the rough waters are going to get a lot rougher. Uh, I think that uh, inflation, it's, it's, you know, the Fed continues to increase interest rates. Um, that's such a, that's such a tight work, tight rope to walk, right? Because if you, if you raise the interest rates too high, then the consumer can't buy credit card, you know, just credit card rates alone, right? Uh, not to mention what it's done to people's 401ks. You know, the stock market doesn't react well to that. Now, the market, 
you know, has had a really difficult um, last three, four months and nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, and if I, I wouldn't want to give a prognostication, but, you know, from the tone of my conversation, you could probably guess where I think it's going. Right. <laughs> so I think people are just going to cut back and, and, and that's, and how long will this last? Well, let's hope, you know, not much longer than first quarter, you know, 23, the difference between what happened in 2008 and what's happening today is the amount of money that's in the system, the amount of wealth that's been created. Right. Uh, the the amount of new companies that have hit the market and been s- extremely successful, you know, in the tech world, you know, software companies, right? Right. Again, I just met a fellow alumni from Villanova. He's I don't know thirty years old. He and his roommate from Villanova developed a software uh, company, and they just sold it. Right? Yeah, but they the multiplier of- on like that is so much more significant than like a retail product. It's right. easier right. to you know have margin (laughs) so there's been a tremendous amount of wealth created uh you know since 2009 that's really a bottom line that's going to get us through this good and and you know smart investors private equity firms uh they're going to snatch up a bunch of companies that have been underperforming because of this challenge they're going to put capital into those and they're going to grow I love that. And and I'm seeing that a lot in some of the industries that I work in is just this massive influx of private money going into provide them with the things that they need to actually grow and scale. Whereas before, you know, bootstrapping works until it doesn't. So it's just like, where where do you uh, land in that? Yeah. And, and, you know, private equity had their most active year ever in 2021. Um you know, t- tons in, in our company, Portage Point, we advise private equity firms. Uh, we advise them uh, either in performance improvement to help their companies get better. And we play mostly in the middle market, lower middle markets. So, you know, despite all those big names on my resume, I'm really enjoying working in this in this environment because we're helping companies grow. Right. And a lot of times, like a family owned company that's been around for 30, 40 years and the founder has bootstrapped it. He's had great success. Um, but he hasn't had access to capital that could double and triple the size of the company. And, access and to the, capital or access to a brain like yours has taken a company to the billion dollar mark. Like yeah. he just doesn't have that experience. And so how can he get himself there if he if he hasn't walked in that path? Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm enjoying being an advisor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, <that's>, <laughs> you know, here's what I think you might need to do. If you want to get there, you got to build your infrastructure up ahead of the curve. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's what, you know, at Belkin, actually, I joined Belkin in 2004 and we were about a $300 million company. And as you mentioned, we got to a billion and we did it in four years. But we couldn't get there if we didn't have the right infrastructure, didn't have the right people, right, the right talent, right, the, uh, the right infrastructure, like a distribution center, you know, the right uh, sourcing. We, we, we sourced a lot of our product from the Far East, but we didn't have an office there. So put an office there, right? And by the time that those sales were ringing the bell, we were ready to deliver. Yeah. And that was an important um, an important strategy that we had. And, and it's important for all companies to be thinking about, if I'm gonna grow, like if you go from a $50 million company to a $100 million company, it's a whole new deal. Right. right? If you go from 100 to 200, it's another new deal. Yeah. The level of talent that you have in the organization, the level of process, procedures, systems, all that kind of nuts and bolts infrastructure. 
you, you build it and invest in it with that that number in mind. You know, yeah. I want to get to a billion dollars. This is what I have to do. And who do I need to hire to get there? So let's just say like, okay, so um, some of my listeners, a lot of my listeners are probably at like somewhere above the $50 million mark um, in annual revenue. What needs to shift inside of them to like really, really scale, like to get to one, one of those bigger points that you just mentioned? Yeah, so typically... You know, in those circumstances, you know, the founder, CEO did everything, right? Made every decision, you know, you know, was was a product developer as well as the chief salesman, right? Uh, the first thing that that executive or that owner needs to do is think about, well, maybe I need a COO, you know, or I need an experienced leader. Integrator. <laughs> That's right. An integrator, you know, the, to come in and ask all the right questions help develop a strategic first to need a strategic plan right and it's not just about product and about you know uh, sales growth or market share it's also about your operations and your people right you know, do i have the people to get there do i have the horsepower to get there do i have the capital to get there right uh, and that's often where an investor can come in and help like you don't have the capital but you have to go out and hire you know 20 more people right you so if it. I go, if I get more capital, say I, I get investment, um, do is my first move like to apply that towards like my go to market strategy or is my first move to hire the right people so that I'm equipped to like is one come before the other? I think it's the people, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, two or three brands are better than one, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, hire people that, you know, are like minded as you are, but have some different experiences and different ideas. And, you know, the CEO or the owner of that, of that $50 million company also should do a self-assessment on his or her strengths. Yeah. I, I know. And, you know, I'm, I'm really good at this part. I don't really care about this part. Well, you need to care about this part. So maybe that's the area where you need to hire someone. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, uh, strategic planning and thinking through, you know what the next three to four years are going to look like having experts that work for you that understand the market well enough to know what your go-to-market strategy is going to be right yeah. to say so you, you don't know, have to know all of the all the things no you just have to lay it out set the goals understand the market understand your competition i always market share analysis is one of my favorite tools i would live and die by the market share reports it's like being a you know manager of a baseball team right the great thing about baseball is every day they print the standings. You know, you're two games out of first or you're three yeah. games first or man, these guys are killing it. Well, how come they're killing it so well? Understanding, you know, they, uh, it's talent, but it's also strategy, right? Mm -hmm. So I would spend uh, every month when that report would come out, looking at my competitors, have they gained a point? How did they gain a point? Where'd they get it from? You know, they just got placement at a Best Buy or they have this new product. Well, what's that new product? Well, why don't we have that product? Or how are we going to make our product better than their product, right? And that 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 constantly constant evaluation of your competitors, of the markets, is going to tell you where you should be going and where, and where there's an opening where you can win, right? Wait a minute, there's a gap in this market. Let's go for it, right? Boom. Yeah. So... Um, uh, and a lot of smaller, lower middle market companies don't 
you know, you can get access to it through NPD, but they don't want to spend the money or nobody's told them to do that. You know, you know, bigger companies, they live and die by it, but right. it's just as important for a smaller company. Well, and that's what I love about you, Tom. And like, what, three-ish years ago when I met you, by the way, I say this all the time, but do not listen to your mom talk to strangers because <laughs> I talked to Tom random meeting. Um, and as I was leaving Los Angeles and the thing that I think really made me tell you in the, in that moment, like, Oh, you don't know the shit, but you're going to be my friend. Um, was that like, we were having these conversations around like Disney and like these big companies and these big picture, but then you're able to like synthesize it down into what's actionable for that middle market, um, organization or something that, you know, even small, the smaller businesses that are in my own world could digest. And I feel like when you give me advice too, that it's in that same vein of like, I learned it way up here in the stratosphere that you're probably never going to visit, but here's how to make it applicable today. So if we can like, I think we were talking about Disney and your leadership there, because that was kind of a big job um, to, to put it as the greatest understatement ever. And we were talking about the people part. So, so many people think, oh, we have to hire, we have to hire, we have to hire. And then they forget that like you have a leaky bucket that you're putting these new hires in. So, I mean, we could talk about talent acquisition. Obviously there's 0.5 applicants for every open role right now in our country. But what about retention? What have you learned about keeping employees and keeping those people that have those strategic elements that you might not have happy and moving you towards where you want to go. Yeah. So, um, I've been really fortunate to have very talented, um, people that have worked for me. Uh, and so, so it starts with hiring, right? Right. (laughs) You know, you don't want to just hire like, Oh, I need a new accounting executive at Walmart. And I need somebody that knows Walmart and somebody that's works lives in Bentonville, which is pretty much what you you know, the job description is. But when you're trying to understand who to hire, it has to be can they not just run Walmart someday, can they run the whole country? Right. right? Do they have the not only the intellectual capacity to do that, but do they have the personality? Can they lead a team? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, one of the things that I enjoy more than anything is leading a team and running those teams and help developing those those people to be able to really excel and get to their goals right so if you're interviewing somebody and they have all the qualifications but they only ever want to do that one job right or they haven't even thought about it then they're probably not the right person but if they have the ambition and the the drive and the the personality that yeah i would love to go to the next level you know and yeah i want to learn from you tom right and I want to learn from that. I, I hiring people smarter than you is the smartest thing I ever did. <laughs> right? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, it's not a threat. It's a good thing. <laughs> it's a really good thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to learn from. I, I've learned as much from my people as you know. Um, if they've learned from me, you know, I I went from Disney, which was a terrific academy to be from, by the way. I mean, yeah. my best friends today or the friends I, I grew up with at Disney and the and the, the leaders and bosses that I had, I mean, I was able to learn a ton from. And I, I moved from being a finance executive to end up running the Disney stores worldwide, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I never ran a retail store in my life, 
but I got that job. Why? Because, because as I progressed through, I had great mentors, I had great teachers, and I had the leadership that they were looking for to lead. I had terrific retailers working for me, you know, store managers and merchants and, you know, distribution people. They, I let them do their job. I just was constantly cheerleading and constantly learning and constantly developing the strategies and looking at what's working and what's not working and then tell them what to do. Right. Uh, and that was a good, you know, a good relationship between the boss and the employees. Um, constant communication. Uh, uh, as far as retention goes, and you know this better than I do, Amber, most of the people leave their job because they don't have a good boss. Right. They just don't like their boss. Right. Or they don't like the leadership overall or the direction that the company is, is going. So the constant communication of where we're going. Right. You know, you celebrate your wins and learn from your losses. Right. I'm I was a cheerleader in college. <laughs> That's I, cool. Know, very enthusiastic guy. Right. So I never kind of lost that enthusiasm. And when people love enthusiasm. People love celebrating when we did something great. When we lost, you got to call them in and say, well, we lost this deal. Let's talk about why we lost it. What did we do wrong? Who, you know, and, and a lot of people will go, well, I I would have done it, but production didn't get me the product on time or the costs were too high. No, 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 no. We're all, we're all on the same team. Right. right. You know, the name on the front of your jersey should be the name, same name as the back of your jersey. Okay. So if we made mistakes, we made mistakes, but, you know, just don't, just don't do it again. <laughs> you know, let's figure out how, let's figure out who beat us, how they beat us. They beat us because they got their product there better, faster than we did. Okay. How do we get our product there faster? They beat us because they're $10 cheaper than we are on shelf. Well, then we got to reduce our costs. How are we going to find cost reductions? Right. And then it becomes a business conversation. Then it yeah. becomes people putting their... This, their thinking hats on. And it's then we, that thing out there that we're all just being curious about without internalizing it and like whipping ourselves with wet noodles. Yeah, exactly. And and we become a team and we write a new plan and then we go back out there and we win the next one. And then we have a party. You know? <laughs> <I like> it. <laughs> There's always got to be a party. So so I'm, I'm loving what you're saying and I'm curious as to, you, you know, you you kind of high level touched on the fact that we're all humans having a human experience and we respond to people's personal brands or not. And does this feel good? Do I like my boss? Do I feel appreciated? Whatever. So you have the emotional condition of a human being in your workforce. And then you have the, it is what it is. This is black and white. This is what the PNL says. This is what the market's demanding. Like that has nothing to do with anybody's like dreams, wishes, hopes, desires, aspirations. It's just what it is. How do you balance those two things to create what it is that you've created over the years? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And it, it's really as much of a, of an art as it is a science. Yeah. Right. So look, we're all, we all have the number one accountability to our shareholders. Uh, and that is to achieve our budgets and to drive profit. Right. So the accountability to on your numbers and your budgets is paramount. The way you have to be able to drive that is, uh, making sure that everybody understands their accountability. Everybody understands that they manage this part of the business and this is what they're supposed to deliver. So I would have a Monday morning meeting every Monday. I would have, I had my, all my account managers write a report on Friday. It was called uh, 
15 at five, no more than 15 minutes to write the report or to read the report, do it five o'clock on Friday night. I love that. Then I had one of my, you know, uh, operational analysts, you know, consolidate it all up. They give it to me on Sunday night. I'd read it. I know who did good. I know who missed their number. Right. So I was prepared. Right. I also could read the report and understand who was embellishing things <laughs> or, or maybe not quite, you know, <laughs> letting you know the full scoop. Right. Uh, and so I really looked for those because that's bad behavior yeah. on either on either side. Right. And that's where I would be more um, enforcement, you know, or, you know, giving people a little bit of shove or letting them know that, no, you, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. And then here's why. And then they would learn not to do it again, but also have a respect that says, you know, we can't bullshit Tom. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's you know? okay. <laughs> uh, and so they're automatically, they learned the team learned the team also became much more effective, right? Because all that stuff's out of the way. Now it's like, yeah, we lost this deal because I didn't do this, you know? Okay. All right. Everybody makes mistakes, you know, now can we help you not do that again? Mm-hmm. Right. And when I first started those meetings, everybody was doing like this, not my fault, not my, you know, and I would get mad, you know? And, and the other thing is I never got mad. You know, I always try to keep my cool, but when I did, the organization knew, Oh my gosh, that's righteous I, anger. That's Jesus turning over the tables kind of anger. <laughs> I was so happy. Did you see what happened today? <laughs> and, uh, you know, everybody talks, you know, about it. So, but that, process that's when i told you that we went through the recession and we ended up coming back and delivering big time that was a high performing high functioning team right and and they all get paid bonuses on performance and you know if you if you if you beat your performance you get paid uh so they're always incentivized to it so you get them focused on look you guys want to get paid this month let's go right yeah (laughs) and so all that coming together I hope that answered your question. I know it was a long, long answer. No, 100%. It was multifaceted, which I always appreciate. Um, so it's a, it's a, I, I like that it's an art and a science that this is like, you had very structural things. You, you set up, set up the accountability cadence where everyone knew what was expected by when, and they knew what was going to happen if they did BSU. So like structurally you had a process in place, but then the humanity side of it is you understood people's personalities and who was the kid who got through college because they're really great at writing BS essays and who actually like knew that the answer wasn't C. (laughs) So I love that. And I think that's a good healthy balance of, um, you know, we, we talk a lot in business about processes and then people processes, and those two have to go together. Um, one now other point, I, one of, humor, humor is really important. Yeah. <laughs> humor is really important. So if you could kind of make a joke out of it, get everybody to laugh, but they know it was a serious situation at the same time, that's, that's always worked for me. Yeah, it diffuses. And even like that's actually a speaking technique is that when you get into like a very serious topic, like give it a beat and then add some humor to kind of like diffuse the situation and bring that audience back up. That's exactly what you're doing in a meeting like that is this was a hot topic. Okay. We need to move to the next topic without this coming with us, all that negative energy. Um, But, you know, confront the brutal facts, right? That's such a a baseline uh, Stockdale paradox. If we're not doing that in business, then we're really missing out. Um, 
because you can do that and still move things forward. Now, I have a question because you are over these brands. So you had Kenmore, Craftsman, and Die Hard. And then you had Sears, which is like grandma's brand, right? So <laughs> who wants to go to Sears? I do because I just like, I don't need things to be with, you know, I don't need it to be Nordstrom for me to go get what I need. But as the consumer was shifting, Sears wasn't as sexy as a brand. So you had these brands relocated. Can you like, was that hard to convince everybody like, Hey, we're going to Amazon. We're going to Lowe's. What Um, was the process of like completely shifting this whole model? So you're you're, to your first point. Um, I had to make the brands more relevant to today. Yeah. Right. The Kenmore brand was a hundred years old. The Craftsman brand was like 90 years old. Beloved brands, beloved. Um, for Kenmore, it was really important to put technology in there. So you've heard of smart technology, smart mm-hmm. home technology. Well, the appliance industry really, that's a perfect for it. You know, so you can just say, Hey, Alexa, turn the washing machine on or Hey, Alexa, let me know when the washing machine's off or have your, your iPhone beep and say you know your your laundry is going to be done in 10 minutes so be be there to be there to put it in the dryer right um and nobody you know no one in the appliance industry well that's not true samsung and lg because they're technology companies had had started to do that so one of my charters was let's make these brands more relevant let's put some smart technology in it and i had some experience with that when i was at belkin so we had something more to sell uh Kenmore is a terrific brand because we work, we actually work with OEMs like an LG or Samsung to get, you know, the latest technology from a wash, from an appliance perspective. But now let's put our little uh, smart technology on it. So it gave us an edge, right? Uh, With, when I looked at where do I go, because it was part of my mandate was to transform these brands because Sears was closing stores. And the only place they were sold was here. So if I didn't find a new new home for them, <laughs> they were dying too. Anyway. So the inside of the company there was no turmoil, right? Inside the company there was no turmoil on on Kenmore for sure. Uh, I thought, well, who do I go to? Home Depot, Lowe's, Best Buy. Well, that would be just shoved, shifting the dirt around in those stores. Amazon did not have a major appliance um, brand. That's crazy. And I, and I didn't have a distribution partner. <laughs> so the deal went pretty easily. The trick on that, though, was having us go into an Amazon uh, customer's home, which they had never had a third party do that before. And Amazon, they set the bar very, very high for our performance. They actually had us go city by city and to make sure before they went nationwide that we were hitting their metrics. They would have operators riding on our trucks to make sure we were you know, that's one of the reasons why Amazon is who they are, right? That attention to detail, the attention to customer service mm-hmm. it was a fantastic experience. And it went terrific and it's still thriving today. Craftsman, everyone was really concerned about taking Craftsman out of Sears because, you know, it is the number one tool uh, in the industry and the number one <laughs> and the best brand. And it, was a, and it was a fun brand to manage. I mean, really, really. Customers would tell me, you know, they'd write me letters saying, you know, I have this toolbox that my dad gave me that was my granddad's, 
right? And now I'm going to give it to my son. In fact, we used that letter and did a television commercial for Father's Day. It's so great. Great. great ad. So what we did was Ace Hardware was the first place we went. And it was a good place to go because, um, you know, a lot of stores, but it's not big bucks. Yeah. And it just, how's it going to do? Is it going to hurt Sears at all? It didn't hurt us a bit. It went off the charts. So now do I go, try to go into Lowe's or, or Depot or whatever? And that's when Sears said, we need the money. <laughs> so <laughs> so they're like, yes, yeah, sell your soul to the devil, please. And not so, not that I, listen, I'm a huge fan of Home Depot and Lowe's. I don't mean it like that. But you do have to make some concessions when you're working with a big box. Yeah. So so we went to Stanley, and who was the number two tool maker, right? And they, they couldn't wait to get all their hands on Craftsman. And Sears got the cash and kept Sears going and the brand's thriving today. So that was a great deal. And it was, it was very fun to do that deal. And then with Die Hard, um, we did the same thing with technology. You know, we had a smart uh, battery charger for, for example, so you could, you could see how your, uh, your car battery or your motorcycle battery or your, uh, your boat battery is doing and know when it's time to charge it on the, on your iPhone. Uh, so that was pretty cool, right? That's cool. Uh, and that made it more relevant. And then, uh, you know, we did the deal with, uh, Amazon, but it's funny when we did the deal with Amazon, every time you typed in Die Hard, a Bruce Willis movie would come up. So we, <laughs> we, we had to figure out how to do it. A little bit and it is a Christmas movie. <laughs> um, and then, uh, Die Hard was eventually sold to uh, advanced auto parts. So, you know, the transformation, it's really was a transformation job for these brands. And, uh, it was really fun. It was challenging, but, uh, uh, it was very exciting and rewarding. So I guess I just have to ask, like, I think about, um, I mean, things in my life, like, you know, being a teen mom or working for Gaylord hotels, like those are experiences like, well, if I could do that, I can do anything. And so when you were going down this path, like, where do you get the gonads to just be like, I'm going to get this on Amazon and like, they've never had this before, but watch me make it happen. Like, where do you get the mental fortitude to say like, Oh, Mount Everest, I'm climbing you next. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just a lot of drive and experience and never give up attitude, I guess, if yeah. you will, you know, something we've got to find, you know, business is like solving a puzzle, you know, it there's is. a missing piece. Like, where is it? I don't know. We got to find it, you know, uh, and having a good team. I mean, I had a terrific, uh, I had a terrific team, uh, at Sears, uh, a couple of my, uh, good colleagues from Disney joined me there. So we had, you know, that I've known for 20 years. So and you had people you could trust, a lot of trusted, you know, uh, advocates around me. And, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a great team effort and we just figured it out. And then, you know, we, we, when you do something like an Amazon, like I said, it, they don't just hand you the keys, right? Right. You had to earn it. You had to try it. And so that was about, you know, you know, weekly meetings, just like I was telling you about the, the Monday meetings I had, you know, before it was like, how did we do yesterday? How did we do last week? I want to see all the customer reviews. What are the challenges? What do you need? Right. And then get them, what they need and then it starts to roll and then boom you're going so yeah. you know a little bit of trial and error a little bit of luck and a lot of good talent around me yeah i love that i love that and i love that you say that it's it's just a puzzle and you have to find the missing piece i often describe it as like just a big experiment and it's or it's a game 
like people are like, why do you work so much? I'm like, cause it's fun. I'm like, look at all these problems I get to solve. What's not fun about that? Like, why would I watch Real Housewives when I could be solving these really exciting problems? That's right. Nothing right. against Real Housewives. I mean, everybody has their way to veg, but so before we wrap up, I, I feel like I've kind of like asked so many different questions, but I think that there's so many different um, types of listeners or there's different listeners in different industries or different business models. And so I kind of wanted to touch on everything, but the the fact that the matter is, is um, Portage Point does a lot of like uh, M&A work. You do a lot of work with the, um, well, I guess maybe just tap into that. Like what's happening in the private equity world? What's happening? Like, what are the trends that you're seeing there? And like, let's just say I'm a business and I want to tap into that world. Maybe can you, can, can you take it from the, uh, this is what's happening on the PE side. And then this is what's happening on the side of people who want to like be friends with PEs and get some money. Yeah. So um, the great thing about Portage Point partners is a we're a boutique firm right so you're always going to get the a team yeah right you're always going to get the a team versus a, a larger consulting firm we also have in, industry expertise so you know i'm talking to you about the consumer products in the retail space but we have an excellent automotive uh sector which has been very very active uh uh aerospace uh, and defense uh, we have, you know, experienced executives that have run airlines before or have worked for, you know, alongside a Boeing or something like that. So you're going to get the operational expertise married with the financial expertise. Are you going to invite me to y'all's next lunch just so I can, like, breathe everybody? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, yeah. If, you, if you're in Chicago sometime, you let me know because most of the office is in Chicago. Okay. Um, and is there a high bar to work for Portage Point, our associates? all come out of blue chip schools. They have a couple of years of blue chip investment banking before they get hired by us. And that, you know, that just brings a level of talent that when you walk into a client's room, uh, office, um, you know, it's the team, you know, right. they really are a high performing team. We get things done quickly. We're good advisors. Uh, and it's advisors are really important right now. Well, we do a lot of distress restructuring, and we try to get there before it gets to distress restructuring, right? You know, and, you know, when private equity firms look at their business, they tend to want to say, oh, well, I can, we know what we're doing. We don't need any help, right? And there's no problem with this company because we bought it, right? <laughs> you know, so we have all we, the answers. We can be, we can be a little bit more, you know, hey, you know, this is, it is what it is right here. And we can, we know this. it's your baby, but your baby's ugly. Right. <laughs> We don't, we don't say ugly, we'll get fired if we say that, but we'll say <laughs> you know, baby's not doing too good, right? Yeah. Not growing as fast as baby should grow, right? Yeah. And so we can really provide a guiding hand, be a trusted advisor, uh, help them get where they want to go. And if it, if it doesn't go the way that, you know, they want it, we're there to save them. So that's, and, and like, you know, we started in the beginning of this conversation, uh, it's rocky roads out there. There's a lot of turbulence happening in the market. There's a lot of turbulence coming towards us. And so the more help that people can get to get good advice, uh, sound advice, the the smarter they are to do, make the investment. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And then, so now I'm in this wonky market. It's an uncertain economy. I don't have access to capital. I have a really good thing going on and I want to do maybe like a first round. What do I need to know as a business owner to prepare myself either for well, let's just say for either for investment or for like, let's just say I want to wash my hands and sell the whole shebang. Yeah. What steps do I take? Okay. So the first question you have to ask yourself is control, right? Do you want to maintain a hundred percent control? Do you want to take a little bit of money off the table, but still maintain 70% control? Or am I just done? Right. I mean, you have to go through those steps when you're thinking about selling or taking on a capital partner. Right. right. Um, most people don't want to give up 100% control, right? It depends where you are in your life, right? Yeah. But so then you got to find the right partner that's going to work with you, invest with you, empower you, and support you, right? And there's a lot of private equity firms that do a good job of that. You know, yeah. they want to hire a good management team. They want to hire a company that they can grow, and three years later, they can sell it, you know, for three times the value that they paid for it, right? And so they'll pay particular attention to the management team if you want to a lot of the bigger private equity firms want the control right so that's really to me in my mind that's the decision that once you make that decision then the rest is easy uh, well not easy <laughs> the next piece of advice would be just make sure you feel really good about the partner it's like it's like hiring people right i mean that you know you you may have you're going to work for them or, or it's like interviewing for a job. Do you really, really like the CEO and the management team there or was something not there? Yeah, because the working relationship is oftentimes going to be, you know, contentious or challenging because it's all about the numbers. I right. Mean, at the end and competing of day, ideas of how to get there. That's right. And, and they gave you a bunch of money. You promised them this. You didn't quite get there. Are they going to work with you to get there or is it going to be a struggle? Yeah. Right. And I think that's, that's the biggest challenge in this. Uh, if you're desperate for money because you're in trouble, right? A lot of times you're going to end up with a lender. And then it's about a lot of the same things, but negotiating your, your loan agreement and your cop, your covenants. Cause once you trip a covenant, then you lose, That's you know, right. unless, unless you can negotiate and, you know, keep things going. So, you know, it, it also depends on what state the business is in. It makes sense. And and I just always go back to as well, like we don't move forward at all until I have a clear understanding of like, what's your mission? What's your vision? What are your values? Service standards, all that kind of stuff. But truly like I'm, I zero in on the values. It's like, oh, is that in a drawer somewhere? And you just pull them out when it's time to have like an annual meeting or are you making choices based on those values? And if my values align with you know, the <clears throat> private equity firms or, you know, whatever that looks like the person I'm hiring, whatever. Now I know that no matter what's happening, we're at least playing by the same family rules. That yeah. to me is a critical piece that gets Absolutely. brushed over. Really good point. Yeah. Really good point. Really good point. Well, Tom, I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask every single guest who's ever been on the show, I believe, or at least pretty far back. Um, before I tell people how they could get a hold of you, what is a parting piece of advice that you would give to our listeners in the core of our listenership? We call them bombshells, which we redefine the term to mean bold, brave, unwaveringly confident woman in business. But the reality is we actually have a lot of bombshell boys listening too. So <laughs> what is that parting piece of advice that you would give? 
Well, first of all, the fact that you call yourselves bombshells is means you're confident, <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and or working on it. Yeah, confidence is, in, in my opinion, the most important thing you can have. You know, you you want to have confidence in yourself, in your team, in your product, in your brand, and that you're going to win. You know, you you know you're going to stumble. You know you're going to fall, but you got to make sure you can pick yourself up and say, I'm not worried about it. Like I've got confidence that we're going to be fine. Right. And you know, that confidence gets shaken a whole lot, you know? Um, but you can't lose sight of the fact of what you've already built. Right. I mean, look, if you're, if you've built a $50 million company, you're already successful, right? You, you already have the confidence to know that you can do that. Now you're ambitious and you want to get to a hundred million. Well, you're going to get to a hundred million because, you're confident, right? And and then it's about, like we talked about, make sure you just surround yourself with the right team and the right people. Because if you have the right team and the right people and you're all confident and you're all bombshells, you're going to all do really good. That's right. And Tom, that is why when I had a bourbon in my hand, I was like, I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. <laughs> because I just think that we see success in a very similar um, way. So, um Ways that people can get a hold of you would obviously be going to portagepointpartners.com. This will be in the show notes to see the wealth of experience that this firm offers. Um, and then we can find you on LinkedIn and then we can yes. also find Portage Point Partners on LinkedIn. Is there anywhere else in the interwebs where we can find you? No, there are two really good places. And okay. by the way, I'm on LinkedIn every day, which is how you and I reconnected. So, yes. Yeah. LinkedIn is a terrific terrific platform uh you know just connecting with people learning about people learning about opportunities so uh yeah look me up on linkedin i'm there all the uh, every day yeah that's awesome and you know i say that all the time bombshell we when i'm listing all the different ways you can get in touch with people like start with linkedin first we are business women so like TikTok's fun and great. I'm not saying you can't grow your business on that, but like where people actually do business is on LinkedIn. So let's start there, right? You got it. Tom, thank you so much for appearing on the show, for sharing your wealth of knowledge and for just being a solid, cool guy. Well, thank you, Amber. And uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be joining the bombshells. So thank you. (laughs) Well, bombshells, you know what to do. If you're watching this on YouTube, give it a like, subscribe. If you're listening on your favorite listening platform, do the same, leave a rating, an honest review. Listen, one time I had somebody that said that she didn't like that I use the term bombshell. If that's your belief, get on there and say it. I don't care. We just, the more that we get reviewed, the more we trip all the logarithms and we can help more people who are aspiring to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident in their business and their life. And plus they get to watch cool episodes like Tom or any of my other friends that I've interviewed this season or prior to. So thank you so much for your listenership. I know how valuable your time is and I do not take it for granted that you're spending it with me and my guest. And we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Visit amberhurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the bombshellbusinesswoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.